Hello, and welcome to the Open YTO podcast, a podcast that aims to share the experiences of QT BIPOC youth in navigating Toronto's sexual health and wellness resources. Through storytelling and dialogue, this podcast hopes to highlight the lack of information, the barriers to accessibility, and the lack of representation of QT BIPOC communities in our mainstream healthcare system. For our first episode, we have Kieran. Kieran has recently graduated from the Neuroscience Graduate Program at McMaster University, where she's currently working as a research assistant at the Peter Boris Center for Addiction Research. She's an advocate for mental health and sexual health, and she has previously talked about her experiences with the healthcare system before, which is why we thought she'd be an excellent first guest. Kieran, woo! Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is Kieran. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to contribute to this. All right. So just out of curiosity, can I ask why you chose to um, study substance use and eating disorders? Yeah. um, So this actually goes back um, a couple years ago. Um, I was a third year undergraduate and I really wanted to see if I like research um, because there were just so many things that I was curious about that weren't taught in classes. Um, Particularly one thing that I was really interested in was substance use and, you know, why do people um, use substances even though it could be potentially harmful for them in the long run? as well as I've seen um, kind of more my distant family, but um, some of my family also has like alcohol use disorder, um, substance use problems, um, particularly like like nicotine, for example. Uh, so I was I was kind of like, you know, I don't understand this really well and I want to understand more and I want to learn and educate myself. So I remember um, actually sitting at the library like on campus and there was a actually lovely article um, about this new center that was opening called the Peter Forrest Center for Addictions Research. Um, And I was like, this is exactly, this is what I want to study. Like, this is something that's new. Um, It's a new center. They're kind of um, bringing more attention and more resources to be able to study addiction. And it just seems like such a novel um, kind of like innovative center. And it really is, I say with a lot of bias, but it's, it's so awesome to see how it's grown um, since then. And um, yeah, I've been working there for like four years and um, quickly I thought, you know, I met with my supervisor there back in 2016 and I thought I would be primarily studying like alcohol use, for example, but then I didn't realize that um, substance use disorders encompass a broad range of substances, addiction, like covers a broad range of behaviors, um, as well as we're really close to like the eating disorders clinic there. So we started a research collaboration with them. So I've been doing that kind of research ever since then. I really like uh, studying addictions because I feel like it's a lot, um, people don't really understand addictive disorders and um, especially behavioral addictions, behavioral addictions, um, which don't involve substances are just kind of gaining um, recognition, even in like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, like it was only mm. introduced in 2013, the first behavioral addiction. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's really awesome to be able to um, research these underrepresented disorders and hopefully contribute to um, making resources for individuals who live with these mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Considering that like just the whole conversation on mental health has 
rightfully so gotten um, more attention because it's yeah. an aspect of health that not a lot of like people when they think about health they just assume that it's physical health that physical, you have like, a yeah. physical injury and then that you receive med- medication and get treated for that but they forget that that hey there's like mental health and sexual health and a whole spectrum that we need to like be aware of and how we can best um, improve ourselves and maintain ourselves I agree. Yeah, I think like, um, especially kind of like growing up in more of like a South Asian household, I feel like, um, you know, like the medical field is highly praised and and it and it should be it's, you know, um, really important, especially now we're seeing with the pandemic, how people are um, working long hours, including my parents who are also in the healthcare field. Um, But yeah, like growing up, you know, you don't really talk about like, well, I didn't talk about mental health too much, like with my like extended family, especially who, you know, don't live in North America. Um, but it's, it's, it's good to see this kind of change, even in North America, like with actually, no, it's important to talk about your mental health, actually depression and anxiety are very common and your feelings are completely valid. And, you know, you can seek treatment for these versus before it was kind of like oh you know just get over it be happy and if it was that easy then we wouldn't have mental health problems like so I think um it's it's really great how there has been this cultural shift um even in North America I feel like with mental health yeah I can definitely resonate with that because I am like central South Asian background um and mental health is never brought up like Again, it just falls back on if you are sick physically, you are sick physically. Aside from that, there's no other ailments to you. Um, but I'm very curious. Like, I know that mental health conversations are challenging. How have you ever had like a conversation about sexual health with members of your family or com- your community? Yeah, um, I think that topic like sexual health is kind of a weird one um, in my like i feel like in the south south asian household in general it's very like surface level i feel like i'm really lucky that i belong to a household i feel like that is you know really progressive and i'm i am a second generation canadian so it might be a little different than other south asian households um i'm also really privileged in that my mom is a nurse but she's always said you know you can come to me with things and i will give you a nurse's perspective not a mom's perspective that being said sometimes you don't want to ask your mom everything about sexual health you just you would rather talk to someone else yeah that's an Um, awkward conversation to have exactly because even even if she's a healthcare professional like you don't necessarily want to tell your parents like you don't want to tell you know your family everything so um i would say like the conversations have been like more surface level if anything um but I have been lucky in that she has said, you know, like if you ever need like advice or like help kind of more from a medical standpoint, I feel like though that I can always talk to her and reach out. But I think, I think in the community at large, it's very not talked about. It's very like kept secretive or like um, people assume that you aren't caring or like don't even want to know about your sexual health, even though that's not um, realistic or the reality. So I would say like for me particularly, the conversations have been very surface level. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like they're um, like outside of your family, like within like the healthcare system or a medical professional, do you feel comfortable with bringing up those topics about sexual health to a medical professional? Yeah, um, I think it depends. I feel like um, I'm thinking about like my family doctor, for example, who's male and he's also of Asian background. I feel like I feel less comfortable bringing those things up with him just because there is this kind of like cultural thing about like, oh, I'm going to talk about this now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's for some reason it's you feel 
weird about it and I think it is kind of like related to how some of us are like brought up um but I I have talked to like talked about my sexual health with um like a gynecologist like a female gynecologist and I feel more comfortable because it's like someone who specializes in sexual health and reproductive health and like is female I feel I, I personally feel more comfortable um talking to someone like that versus like you know, like a random doctor, older white male, a male. Yeah. Yeah. Older white male, or even, even if they are South Asian, like it's just, then there's like this cultural stigma. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Cause I would have imagined, actually, no, I agree with you in that sense that if I were to talk to at least a male from my background, I would feel a lot less confident speaking with them than if it were to be just a white male doctor. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think it's because I think it's a cultural thing, right? Like of, um, you know, not really talking about these topics normally and just like, it's not normalized to seek help or seek resources. I feel like when it comes to your sexual health in certain cultures um, that we've kind of grown up with. So then it's kind of like, oh, this is someone who's distant kind of away from the culture. So maybe I can, you know, talk to this person. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of, for me, at least, I think I feel kind of that way. Um, yeah. And that brings up like another interesting thought, like the fact that like sexual health is discussed at a surface level um, in both like our community, but also in school, um, yes. we just learned that, hey, abstinence is the best method. And yeah, we're a condom, <laughs> um, but they don't really talk about anything else, like especially with um, like STIs or um, how to take care of yourself and your reproductive health. Like, I am not gonna age myself here, but I still don't know if I sh- if uh, it's the right time for me to go to like a gynecologist and get myself checked out because you like I never was taught or told like exactly hey, this age. This is when you should start thinking about your reproductive health. Like those conversations are never had. I agree with that. I um I went to a Catholic school um, and I had a great experience at Catholic school. Even though I'm not Catholic, I felt super welcome. And I just really liked seeing that culture. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I Again, I think this, this has to do a little bit with my upbringing. We were kind of like, like I celebrate Christmas and Diwali and like all, like I celebrate everything basically. So like, I, I really enjoyed seeing like their culture um, and the religion, learning about the religion, the history, things like that. But, um, one of the things was like, um, I remember in ninth grade learning about sexual health and it was just very different from, um, what my friends at public school were learning, but also it's not necessarily that it was like better or worse. It was just different. Um, we were kind of, you know, taught like, okay, like, you know, don't have sex and you will get all these STIs and this is why you shouldn't. There was no talk about, you know, well, when I am, maybe not, you know, in ninth grade for me, definitely not ninth grade, but like maybe when I'm older, like, you know, I'm going to actually need resources. I'm going to need um, contraception. I'm going to need more information. Um, like, um, about different birth control methods. Like I remember just like learning about all these different uh, birth control methods actually when I was growing up and going, um, started going to university. And I know my friends were like, oh, like I'm on the IUD, I have a patch, I have that. And I was like, all these things exist. Like I had no idea. Um, And I I feel like we always like commonly like hear about the pill and like this type of stuff, but I didn't realize that there were actually 
a wide array of options to choose from. And I, I was thinking about this, um, about like my education. So it's interesting that you bring this up because I was like, it was exactly the same thing. It was like, it was like just abstinence. And then if you do do it, you're going to get STF, but that's not realistic, right? Like, (laughs) like, it's just, that's, you know, it's they like kind of like scare you a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. and you actually don't get, um, like you don't know where to go then, like when you are ready to, to, to kind of look into your sexual health and that type of thing, like, you're kind of lost. You're kind of like, should I be scared? Or like, where do I go? Because no one ever told you where to go. Yeah. So you've mentioned that your mom is a nurse. So I can imagine you're no stranger to being um, in the healthcare system. So how have your experiences with healthcare overall been? Yeah, so I think like I'm really privileged that I've had um, access to like family members that are in the healthcare system. Um, so I think it's definitely contributed to a lot of knowledge that I have that I feel like maybe, um, you know, if you don't have that exposure, um, that you may not necessarily have, or you may have to seek other resources. But, um, I think like, um, it's been really helpful to have my mom because sometimes like, I know like growing up, it would be like, you know, I I feel really sick. Like, should I go see the doctor? And it's really easy for her to just be like, no, like you just have the flu. You can stay at home. Like you're fine. Give it a couple of days. But for some other things, um, it would be like, no, like you have to get this checked out. Like, I don't know what this is. Like you, you definitely have to see a doctor. Um, and I, I, just as a, as a funniest side, I think it'll be funny uh, for some of the listeners, but I think like some people have this idea that if your parents are in the healthcare field, that they're very sympathetic, but it's definitely the opposite. They're like, okay, if you're not dying, you're fine. Like, you know, like they see like such, they see like extreme cases. So you actually get like less sympathy from them. I feel like Mm, they tell you (laughs) what the doctors are actually thinking. As opposed to the doctors like sweet coating everything when you go to their exactly. office. Exactly. You you hear like the the cold hard truth. I feel like from from them, and it's not like the filtered version how they are with patients. Not mm-hmm. how they they won't treat me like a patient, right? Like I'm their daughter. It's not going to be the same. So they know really, you can handle it. <laughs> it. And it's funny because some people are like, "Oh, you're so lucky. Like if you have the flu, your mom's a nurse. She probably takes care of you." I'm like, no, it's the opposite. She's like, stay away from everyone. Like even before COVID and everything, it was like you know if you have the flu, stay away from everyone. You don't want to get everyone sick and like you know see you in three days like it was like <laughs> it's very like um very like I feel like practical and actually you don't get you don't get any sympathy mm-hmm. um it's tough love it's tough love yeah it's it's very different um than you would think but um navigating the healthcare system in general I I, I think that I have been privileged in that I have had access to a lot of resources growing up as well as like comprehensive like healthcare coverage and things like this. But um, having said that, even though I feel like I grew up privileged in that sense, there still has been a lot of difficulty when it comes to navigating um, the healthcare system. Um, I'm thinking about, for example, like when I was going through my um, PCOS diagnosis. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome for individuals who don't know. Um, So this is like considered to be a metabolic disorder, but it affects all I like to call it multifaceted because it affects kind of all, um, all facets of you. It affects your mental health, your reproductive health, your sexual health. It can affect, it can affect uh, your physical health, your physiological health, just everything. Um, so I remember like when I was going through that, my mom was like a really big, um, support, um, not just to have someone who's in the healthcare field to kind of help me, um, get down to the bottom of what was kind of happening, but also, um, 
just to have someone there with me as I was navigating the healthcare system, because I remember like seeing my family doctor and he just kind of looked at me with a blank expression. and was kind of like, okay, well, you're young. So maybe, you know, your hormones are settling and like, maybe it's, you know, you have acne, it's like common in teenage, but I was like, no, like I have like these clusters of symptoms. I feel like my body is just like doing, doing all kinds of crazy things. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel, I don't feel okay. Right. Like I felt like there was something wrong and I, I actually like, um, you know, like Googled, like, like we all do, you know, like what, like, do I have blah, blah, blah. MD'd yourself? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then I was like, okay, what does this mean when you have like this combined with this combined with this? Like, what, what does this all mean? Um, and even my, like, even my mom being like a nurse or like healthcare professional, even she wasn't educated about PCOS. Like it just wasn't a topic mm-hmm. that was covered. Um, in, in individuals education. So, um, I remember seeing my family doctor about it and him kind of just being like, Oh, like, are you sure that it's not just like, you know, teenage hormones? I was a teenager at the time. Um, so I think I was like maybe 15 and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 17. Oh, wow. So two years, it, two years it took, um, to get diagnosed. And I remember like, like, yeah, it's not like a life-threatening thing that was happening with me, but it was annoying. Right. I had also gone multiple months without um, a period. I, I had like I was gaining weight for no reason. Um, even though I was I was actually like I used to dance. I used to be a dancer, so like I was. I remember like going to dance class and like my clothes not fitting me, and you just feel really strange. And it's like your body, and then just being really irritable. Um, it was definitely annoying, and it kind of felt especially being that young and going through these changes. Um, you're going through changes in general during puberty, but then even further having like a complication with those changes, I think was really distressing as well as people kind of like chalking it up to like, Oh, you're just being a teenager. You're just being like a moody, moody teenager. So I would say like in that case, like it was kind of difficult navigating the healthcare system. I eventually got diagnosed. I think I was like 17. Um, and it was like a endocrinologist that diagnosed me. And I remember him even saying like, Oh, like, you know, this is only, a, I've only seen a couple of these cases and blah, blah, blah. And then you feel even weirder. You're like, okay, like, am I just like, normal? am I the only one? Yeah. Like, am I the only one like going through this? Um, so I would say like in that regard, I definitely struggled with that diagnosis, particularly because it just took so long to receive the diagnosis. And like, I, I, I kind of understand, like, it is complex, like, to diagnose. And um, I want to also mention that it is a condition that disproportionately affects uh, women of color. Yeah. So um, I think like that had to play a role in it because it's not, it's not uncommon, but it's co- like, it's, it's common enough to- that you should care about it and to, yeah, like it's prepared to recognize it based on its symptoms. Yeah. I think like I, what I was trying to say was like, Hmm, I don't know if this will make sense, but it's like, it's uncommon in the general population. But if you look at people of color, it's actually common. Like it's yes. up to 10% of people, of women, sorry, not people, <laughs> um, have it. So um, yeah, like it's, it's it, d- it disproportionately affects uh, women of color, particularly like South Asian, African, um, other individuals of color. Yeah, and I think like, um, I remember my, my mom even telling me like she had not learned about this condition whatsoever. Um, in school they learned about other conditions but not this one and it was also never talked about in school like um, I just saw this meme as sometimes like I go on like the PCOS forms and stuff I saw this meme and it was like 
oh, PCOS, like they really skipped over that in health class. <laughs> like, um, cause it's just so, it just like, wasn't like, um, a condition that people even knew about. Yeah. And even if it's like the fear that, oh, there, there's like too many things and we don't have enough time to cover all that. Um, there definitely wasn't any like resources to learn more about different health conditions. Right. It was just, you learn about like the, the basic and kind of like things that will affect everyone. But then with these quote unquote, less common or uncommon um, conditions, it was just not talked about when really, I think education should at least give you the opportunity opportunity, or at least direct you to resources where you can find out more about like just overall health and what can affect you. And even, I don't want to say categorize, but really they probably should categorize illnesses now based on your background and you as a person rather than as a general population, because as a general population, not everyone's going to be, not everyone has the same rates of, uh, what am I trying to say? Not everyone is affected by the same things. Sorry, not everyone is affected by the conditions in the same way, right? Like, as you mentioned, PCOS is very common in like the QT BIPOC community. But if you were to look at just education that has to cater to everyone, it's not spoken about when really it's it should. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think even just being like a South Asian person, um, I know like that there's certain conditions they say that are more common in South Asian um, individuals, for example, like diabetes. So I think it's really important to have more tailored like healthcare, right? Like um, not everyone is affected the same way. Um, I feel like when it comes to certain conditions and like, it would have been helpful to have like more information. So like I said, the endocrinologist was kind of like, you know, I've only seen a couple of these cases, so it's hard to diagnose, blah, blah, blah. But like, there was no, there wasn't even like a pamphlet or something where I could read about it. Like I had to literally go online. Um, there's like a PCOS, like there, I think I mentioned this, there are like forms and stuff where people kind of talk about their experience, which is so great that there's like an online community. But um, as a teenager, it can be really distressing to you know, have to seek this information out yourself. And sometimes online, the information is not correct. Um, yeah. It's just like information overload and you don't know whether you should trust her or not. So when you have someone has more authority, like a healthcare professional, and they are coming up to you and saying like, oh, I actually don't know too much about this either. Then that's frustrating because you've turned to them for support and for knowledge, but they can't provide that to you. And you feel like, well, what do I do now? Online is, I'm not trustful of things that are online. Healthcare professionals don't know what's going on with me. Um, that can be a lot of stress, especially when you're like going through this process in high school with like all the just the challenges of high school brings already. And now you have like, oh, I have a health condition that I need to figure out what's going on first before I actually figure out how to treat myself. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had to... Um, you were searching or you found a forum for PCOS. Do you still use that forum now? I don't use it anymore. Um, I probably have an account or something. Um, there's a couple of them. And I think there's also similar forms for like people um, who are living with endometriosis and like kind of like similar, but not really similar conditions. Um, but I, I, sometimes I'll like, I'll look at it like sometimes um, kind of lurk, but I don't really like actively <laughs> like post or anything anymore. Um, but it is nice to see that there is some online community or online platform where you can talk to individuals who are struggling with the same thing that you are struggling with. 
Um, also really opened my eyes to how different this condition looks. And I think that goes with any condition. Like, even if we talk about something like depression, like my, my version of depression, you know, there's some similarities, but there's also like, it manifests in different ways. Like my, um, someone suffering with depression will look different from my version of depression, for example, but it's also really comforting to know that there are like these similarities, but also really nice to celebrate these differences. So like, I remember like going on the forum realizing like, oh, it's not just like what I experience. like people experience different things or maybe they experience less or more, um, or some people don't even realize they have this condition until maybe they um, want to start having kids and it's really difficult for them. Um, versus like I found out super young. So uh, yeah, it was like really interesting to like consult, I feel like online resources. Because I, I, I understand that PCOS is not understood as commonly in the medical field, but I'm curious as to how just the conversations you have with your friends or your coworkers, if you do have these conversations yeah. and like you're talking about health and you bring up PCOS, um, how those conversations are like. Yeah, I think it's like you feel like you're kind of educating people a lot. I feel like when it comes to like really uncommon conditions. So I know like sometimes in the past, like it's come up um, with friends and coworkers. Um and I think the conversations have been really positive, um, especially from friends, which they should be. Uh, your friends yeah. should definitely be positive and supportive, I feel like, otherwise. Um, but yeah, no, like, I, I feel like, like, sometimes people aren't even like, I'll, I'll tell them, like, I have like, you know, this condition or whatever. And then they'll be like, oh, like, I had no idea. So I think that's really interesting, too, is like, um, you know, we assume if we can't see something that an individual is okay, you know what I mean? Versus if we see someone, for example, who's broken their leg, who like has a cast or broken their foot, whatever, and has a cast, you automatically change your behavior. Like you kind of mm -hmm. like open a door for them or you kind of, you know, you're mindful about giving them room and things like that. Cause those are really easy to see they're visible, but um, through my conversations with people, I've noticed that it, it kind of is like insightful for them. Like, oh, like you're actually dealing with this condition, but like, you can't really see it day to day. Mm -hmm. Like looking at me, you can't actually tell that I have like an underlying condition, which could be affecting my mood that day, my physical mm -hmm. that day or whatever it may be. But yeah, I think like a lot of people, like they're like, what is that? And then I go into this whole explanation um, about it. But I kind of like, I kind of, now I kind of like talking about it because I feel like I've like, I've, I've been diagnosed with it for a long time now. I've like definitely gained a lot of knowledge about it. Um, and actually it's come up a lot at work because a lot of our research participants, um, specifically individuals with eating disorders, um, actually disclose that they have PCOS. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So um, that's really interesting because I've heard people, you know, I've, I've seen people uh, disclose this and then um, some of my coworkers asking, oh, like, you know, this person said that they have, you know, PCOS, like, do you know what this is? And then I'm like, I know exactly what that is. Like, <laughs> I have it too. <laughs> so it does come up like um, at work, like in that way, because people are where we do collect kind of like mental health and physical health um, information on our research participants. So it has come up, um, particularly when I'm when I'm um, working with individuals with binge eating disorder. It seems to be common that there are some some individuals that say they have PCOS or endometriosis, those types of conditions. Hey, well, it's good that you work in that research center that you can kind of have that shared experience and better understand where they're coming from or how they might be affected. Yeah, I think it's it's 
It kind of adds like a layer of understanding and, and especially that comes out in my conversations with others when they talk about you know, exercising or eating healthy and things like that. For me, it's like, it's not just about like appearance. It's kind of also like, oh, I have to do this because I have this condition. Yeah, I think that's like the importance of being diagnosed and having a label because if you weren't, if you didn't know that you had PCOS, you'd probably be living your life not freely, but you wouldn't be as mindful as I need to watch out for my health. I need to watch out for my diet, exercise. Um, and you'd only be putting yourself more at risk for those um, other like associated conditions like diabetes, because you, you wouldn't know, you think you're perfectly fine and you can live a quote unquote normal lifestyle, but really you have to be conscious of uh, a whole other layer of yeah. um, health and well-being aspects in order to prevent yourself from getting those conditions like diabetes. Yeah, no, I agree. It definitely makes me a lot more conscious, but I think it's like um, a good balance. Like you shouldn't be like too anxious about things where like it's affecting your day to day and kind mm-hmm. of you're thinking about your condition all the time. Like for me, I really like to just not think about it as much. I think for me, it really helps me just to feel normal, normal, quote unquote, <laughs> <laughs> just to feel like someone who doesn't have like condition, right? Like just mm-hmm. to, but then at the same time being mindful, like, okay, no, like maybe if I go a couple months without exercise, which has definitely happened during COVID, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe I should like, okay, maybe I should like do some exercise because it, it really helps. Like for me, exercise helps me with my condition mm-hmm. and it helps me with my mental health. It helps me with like a lot of things, I'm not like forcing myself to do things, but um, definitely being aware and definitely uh, taking care of myself um, a little more. And I think it's really helpful to have the diagnosis as you're saying, because then it's like, oh, I actually know that I'm at risk for diabetes um, and other conditions. So these are things that I will be watching kind of going forward. Cool. Okay. So if you were to go back to the age of 15, where you first start realizing, hey, like there's something wrong. Is there anything that you'd wish that the healthcare system or like that you, um, had access to earlier or you'd wish that you had known about sooner? Yeah, I think like where to go, because I know like you can always go to your family doctor with things, but typically they have to send a referral. Um, Like who will I be seeing that will help me kind of understand this condition better? Reasons about conditions that affect South Asian women, for example, for me, like from in my case or mm-hmm. girls at that time I was, I was a girl, <laughs> <laughs> I was young. Um, I wouldn't have identified as a woman back then. No way. (laughs) So um, yeah, just like just conditions that affect the South Asian community. I think it's really difficult because um, like I mentioned before, like I'm second generation Canadian. So sometimes you feel like you don't fit fully North American. You're not fully like Indian, which is my background. Um, So like, you're kind of like, okay, like I know there are these conditions as a North American person that can affect me, but what are actually some conditions as a South Asian that can affect me, you know? because that's like what, what my ethnicity is, that is part of who I am as well. Um, so just having more access to this information would have been nice. Um, as well as just overall more information about my reproductive health, mm-hmm. um, because PCOS affects your reproductive health. Um, so just as a, as a female in general, there are so many conditions that can affect that. Um, so just, you know, in health class, kind of just going beyond STIs and 
um, contraception, like, well, what about like my reproduction? Like, what about my reproductive mm -hmm. health? Like, what are conditions that I should look out for? Um, different cancers, for example, things like that, that it just aren't spoken about. Um, yeah, because they don't feel at the time that's their responsibility to educate us. So like, oh, you'll yeah. learn later. But it's always that the learn later is what causes more of the issues. Because at that point, you are not actively looking to prevent things like you're not actively considering like oh my action here is going to affect something that's going to happen in my future is because well we haven't received that education so we don't know what to avoid or how to approach things exactly and I think like um I, I know like I'm aware like STIs are super prevalent among teenagers and youth particularly ages 20 to 25 mm -hmm. especially in like my community, for example, but like, if we were, you know, in ninth grade, if we were old enough, old enough, like they like to say, right, like, if we were old enough to learn about, um, like, sexual health and STIs, then we were definitely, you know, more than capable of learning about our reproductive health as well, as well as conditions that um, are related that they just didn't cover. Exactly. Yeah, it's the whole scenario of, uh, it's a whole push and pull of, oh, you're old enough. They're like, no, you're not old enough. It's like, well, when are we ever going to determine what it's appropriate to learn something? Like if we can learn something now, then might as well learn it now as opposed to deal with the consequences of being uneducated later. Yeah. And I think also like in grade school, like learning about like a menstrual cycle and things like this. Mm -hmm. But um, again, they didn't talk about, oh, not all of you are going to get a menstrual cycle exactly, because some people, yeah. some people it happens later or some people might have PCOS and it might mm -hmm. actually, it might be not coming like normally or it might not come at all when you expect it to. Like they just assume that everyone's going to be functioning perfectly fine and it's going to be all happy and roses and whatever. But actually, no, like there are, there are, um, you know, females that don't experience menses um, and there's different conditions that people face that doesn't follow kind of like the normal trajectory of what we learn in school of how it's supposed to kind of go. Yeah. Cause when, when you're that young, you want to be normal. Like you want to, like you want your body to be following along with like the normal quote unquote the normal processes that like, I remember as a kid it was just stressful when I would like miss my period for like a month or two months and I would think like oh my god I'm dying like there's something wrong with me all my friends are getting their periods and they're starting off regular when I'm like irregular like there must be something wrong when in actuality like you're right your body is complicated and it will Things will happen when they happen. Yeah. It can be like chalked up to, but recognizing that, hey, there's like a wide variety of how your body takes, or not take care, it's a wide variety of how your body functions. And all of those cases to a certain degree are perfectly fine. And like exactly. I say to a certain degree, because there are some cases where like, in your case, when you missed your period for, was it a year you said? Um, I think it was like, I think we, I may have said four months earlier, but I think it was more like six months. Six months. Okay. Um, I remember I was in 10th grade and, um, actually I was on Accutane at the time oh, wow. uh, for my, oh, okay. acne, for my yeah. acne, um, which is also, you know, I had acne because of hormones mm -hmm. and PCOS, yeah. but, um, so that's the other thing too, right? Like having certain conditions makes you, then you have to like, oh, you have to get treatment for this and treatment yeah. for this. Like it becomes so complicated, but I remember actually thinking, oh, is it the medication that I'm taking that's causing 
the missed periods and I'm yeah. going to the dermatologist and being like, he's like, okay, so like, how are you doing? Do you have any symptoms? I'm like, I haven't had a period in six months. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, are you, are you sure you're not pregnant? And I was like, no, oh. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> like, I just haven't had a period. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. Um, and especially in, in 10th grade, pregnancy was not even in the cards for me. Like, I, I was like, no, I just, I just ha- literally have not had a period. Like, <laughs> there's no other why. Um, there's, there, there is a reason why that I don't know is something wrong with my body or like it's mm-hmm. medication. And he was like, well, this is not a side effect of the medication whatsoever. Missing your period is not, which, which is funny because Accutane has literally all the side effects, um, that you can name. Every oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Except for missing your period. Apparently that doesn't, it's not covered in that. So yeah, and it, it wasn't, turns out it wasn't Accutane. It was, you know, I had a condition, um, but that was kind of, um, eye opening in a sense, because I was kind of like okay, so like it's been six months and it's not due to the medication. So there is something going on. (laughs) Because I'm just thinking about how in high school, like you get treated for what underlying condition, you get treated for the symptoms. And all the symptoms. Yeah. And all your like behavioral behavioral changes are chalked up to the symptoms rather than realizing like, hey, actually if it's affecting um your mood your your skin your eating habits and your body weight then there has to be like something that's connecting all of these it's not like four separate issues yeah and I I feel like it's really disheartening I know I've been to like um walk-in clinics and stuff before and sometimes they'll say oh like what what is the reason you're here today and you're like oh well like my this is this happening this is happening they're like no tell me like the one reason and you're like what one reason like there's multiple reasons. Like I'm a full person, Mm. you know what I mean? Like, and I've literally had a doctor tell me like, we're only going to deal with one condition, like one problem at a time. And I'm like, but how do you not know? Like the problems are connected. Like, you know what I mean? So um, that they're all separate when actuality they're connected. Yeah. And I think, I think like, um, especially like having this like diagnosis, um, going through this diagnosis when I was younger like that's what it was right people were like oh you have acne because you're a teenager oh you're moody because you have a because you're a teenager because you're weight. yeah like oh your weight's fluctuating because you're because you're a teenager like it was all like your teen like the teenager was like the condition you know what I mean like being a teenager (laughs) (laughs) so I was like no like I see it like you know I talked to my friends about it too and they were like hearing you have to get checked out like that's like you know not normal like my period Mm -hmm. comes every month and you know we're just kids at that time like your friends the listen to you they'll support you but they don't know what's going on like you need you need like a healthcare professional to help you mm-hmm. um so yeah I think sometimes it's disheartening that like it's only like oh I'm here and I have multiple things that are wrong with me but I'm only allowed to talk about one it doesn't make sense to me as a patient mm-hmm. um medically I don't know like if they do that because it helps them categorize things or make diagnoses a lot clearer but like in my previous case like it, it took someone to put yeah. it all together to get the yeah. diagnosis. And even if they do, if, even if they are trained to do so, to like treat one problem at a time, they should, at least I think, be like transparent with that. Um, or if they do go about just solving one problem at a time, that they're compassionate about like you as a whole and they want to help you get to your, to your solution, to your di- di- diagnosis, but they can only look at it one problem at a time. I think having that conversation or making that um, the way that they're going about their healthcare transparency um, can definitely remove a lot of stress. Otherwise you feel that I am just a problem to be solved rather than I am a human that is seeking treatment. 
Yeah, I think like it's really important, especially like even, you know, doctors, I know people talk about doctors, bedside matter, matter, like yes, even yeah. just the way, even just the way some people communicate can make a huge difference. So even if they are saying like how you're saying, like, you know, explaining that like, okay, because it's going to help me kind of focus in on this, you know, maybe more severe symptom, like let's get to the bottom of this so we can alleviate your suffering of this symptom right now. And then we'll go to the rest later on. Like even just phrasing it, how it's phrased um, can make like a huge difference. I feel like, yeah. Otherwise you just feel like, oh, like, am I just like a cluster of symptoms? Like I'm a full person and these are actually, I'm not actually experiencing these symptoms one at a time. Like they're actually happening all the time, like all the time, all together. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I've actually had like, I think when it comes to healthcare and negative experiences, I think particularly at certain walk-in clinics in my community, I've had that experience where they're like, maybe because it is like the nature of a walk-in clinic, you're literally supposed to like, it's like a drive-thru, literally walk in and you walk out. Um, But I don't necessarily, like, I don't know what that's helpful for. Like it's helpful for maybe just those physical injuries, very acute. Yeah. Acute physical um, things. And it's not necessarily helpful for us conditions and other things you might be going but like sometimes you just need a walk and sometimes your family doctor does appointment until next week but you're yeah. you're not like in crisis where you have to go to the and like er wait times are eight three yeah. times with like um that's other thing is like wait times i would say like um you know two years for a diagnosis it's a long time mm-hmm. um, but again my condition wasn't life-threatening and i understand that people have life-threatening conditions that have to be diagnosed quicker um but i think like even just waiting so long can be distressing for people mm-hmm. yeah and and i think like i i i can sympathize that you know that what you have is not going to to kill you so you're okay with putting up with the additional wait time but it's just the fact that we have to be okay with putting up with that wait time as opposed to just like it the wait time being a case of I this is the next available time slot that I can see this person as opposed to it's the wait time for them to figure out what's wrong for them to get their testing to get their results um I think that yeah I sympathize with you that that can be extremely frustrating yeah, I think also it happens with chronic conditions a lot, like where there really is no cure, right? Like these mm-hmm. are things that um, I think have like a, I think like PCOS, for example, has like a, it's like fully like genetic, like you inherit it and then you you find out you have it later on, right? When you're going through puberty and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, like there's no like cure and it's not life-threatening. So I think for a lot of chronic conditions like this, like some people, I'm thinking about people that suffer with chronic pain or something, like you're yeah. not going to die from it, but it's so debilitating like you might go months and months like just waiting for diagnosis for a treatment plan like and you're you're suffering in the meantime um yeah that's building on additional stress this can like worsen the condition even more it also really opened my eyes like to the fact that there are like certain barriers even though like you like i i feel like I, i grew up you know very privileged in that i have members in my family that are healthcare professionals and i had access to you know, like healthcare coverage and all this type of things, like really supportive family and like friends. And like, I I thought I was really privileged in that way, but even having all these resources, Mm -hmm. it was so hard to get a diagnosis. There were still some roadblocks. Um, But now like, I really, I'm really like super open about like talking about my condition. And like, I really love doing like, you know, things like this, like this podcast. Um, 
and like just it's nice to like I feel like almost you know feel like you have control over like whatever condition you have Mm -hmm. um which is kind of more how I feel now I feel like you know some days some days I'm kind of like oh it's just like you know because of my like condition like you know what I mean like you kind of are like oh this is like my condition but like um like just like being able to like have the resources now and like the education now that I have (laughs) that I hope I can pass down to other people that may think they have um PCOS or any other kind of like related condition um yeah and just finding out like what works for me like exercising and like taking certain medications not taking certain medications like um it's nice to have like a a good grasp I feel like of like my condition now so it was really distressing back then but now I feel like kind of happy to talk about it I guess yeah and if you were to um like have a conversation with someone or so if like for anyone who's listening um if you were just to not really like summarize but are there any like key ideas or key takeaways that you think um listeners who are going through a similar experience or who are um trying to navigate the healthcare system do you have any like tips or strategies or piece of advice for um, folks who might be going or who are currently going through a similar situation as to what you went through when you um, were trying to get diagnosed for PCOS? Um, I think like the first thing would be to never give up. So at times it was like kind of discouraging when you don't know what's wrong with you. And then people are saying, oh, it's like, don't worry about it. Um, but I feel like it didn't, I I just didn't give up. I was like, no, I think that there's something wrong with me. And it took me a while to receive my diagnosis, but I persisted. I talked to multiple healthcare professionals and I did my own research. And I think that, um, it's totally okay to keep advocating. You should advocate for your health. It's really important. So I would say to never give up. Um, I think the second one that I wanted to outline is like to talk about your experience with someone that you trust. Um, if you're comfortable, like if that is something that'll help you. So like I mentioned previously, I was really lucky that I was able to talk to my mom. Um, however, like it makes, it totally makes sense that it wouldn't be your mom or like someone in your family. Like you don't, you don't necessarily, um, but you don't have to necessarily feel comfortable to speak to someone like that. Um, if you're not even comfortable, you know, talking to someone, even something like journaling or just getting your thoughts out, like, um, in any way that will help you, I think is really, uh, therapeutic. And it also helps you through the process of just, um, uncertainty and, um, just trying to navigate. Um, I think like that really helped me is like talking to someone, talking about my frustrations, just having a support person. And that can be anyone, Um, or no one, it could be your journal. And um, third is that your experiences are valid. So like, um, you don't have to feel like you're abnormal or um, like you maybe like you're over exaggerating. If you feel unwell, you feel unwell and you should definitely um, seek treatment, seek resources. I know it can be really difficult, but like your experiences are so valid and like you have, like you need to be, like you should be heard. Um, and I think like, especially if you're dealing with a condition like PCOS, where there's so much stuff that's going on, it can be really hard to explain it to someone, but just know, even if you aren't able to explain how you're feeling, that your thoughts and your feelings are valid. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you'd like to connect further with Kieran, you can follow her on Instagram at K-I-R-A-N dot P-U-N-I-A-X-O. If you'd like to stay updated on the podcast and be notified as to when we release our next episode, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, 
and Facebook at OpenYTO. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave a review and rate us. But other than that, we will see you in the next episode. Stay tuned and peace.